Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to College Football Live, presented by Zillow. It's time to talk college football. Happy to have you with us. I'm Wendy Nix with Desmond Howard and David Pollack. College game day is back on Rocky Top this weekend. The crew is headed to Knoxville for one of the sport's best rivalries. So let's take a trip down memory lane. How about 0-2? Tennessee number four, Florida number 10, and the Gators used a 24-point second quarter to knock off the Vols. That gave Coach Corso a loss in the headgear pick. A decade later, another top 25 showdown brought game day to town, but then a loss for Tennessee after allowing 27 points in the second half. And once again, Coach Corso picked Tennessee to come out on top. And in 2016, game day back one more time. Once again, a meeting of top 25 foes. But this time, the Volunteers used a big second half of their own. Their only win against Florida since 2005. And this time around, Coach Corso picked Florida. Oh, no. Resulting in another loss for the headgear. Saturday will be the 10th time Tennessee has coasted college game day. One of 10 schools to reach double digits. Alabama and Florida, by the way, the only SEC schools to host the show more than Tennessee. Florida brings an offense to Knoxville that has struggled. The Gators, one of three FBS teams that have yet to throw a touchdown this season. Their quarterback, Anthony Richardson, is last in the FCC in completion percentage. Here's Richardson on how his mom is helping him deal with the challenge. She actually got on to me last night because I was talking about the four interceptions and she started bringing up all these great quarterbacks and how many interceptions they've thrown and stuff. So uh, she kind of got on me about that. But, you know, just talking to my family and my mentor, they kind of helped me keep my, my head straight. You know, it's, it's always been football. It's always been about football. And I didn't worry about any of the other stuff growing up. So why do it now and, you know, and make things go downhill? Just get back to myself and play ball. Well, that's probably the best approach. Des, listen, let's start with Anthony Richardson. You know, a, a lot of hype there. What have you seen so far? Well, you, you, you mentioned it when there's a bunch of hype, especially coming off the um, Utah game where they won that game in the swamp. It was a hard-fought game. It went toe-to-toe, back and forth. But the highlight of the game was a two-point conversion. Uh, you know, it was a really spectacular play by Anthony Richardson. Um, a great throw, show how elusive he is. But that that play ran in such of a loop that people thought it was an actual touchdown. He has not thrown the touchdown yet. He's thrown zero touchdowns and four interceptions. And I believe people thought that was a touchdown throw. So it was a knee-jerk reaction to how spectacular he is as a quarterback. You know, he was a guy who now he's on the Heisman list. But I believe, David, it was a knee-jerk reaction. It was an overreaction. He's only completed 53% of his passes so far. They lost to Kentucky. I almost lost to USF. 
So, Dave, I think that first game against Utah, there was just a gross overreaction from that two-point conversion that many people thought was an actual touchdown throw. Yeah, I think when I watch Anthony Richardson, especially week one, you just say, wow, a guy that big, that fast, that dynamic, made several plays that game, a long touchdown run up the left sideline that was really sensational. He makes the wow plays, but what you're watching when you start to watch the tape and you start to study him is he's got a lot of misses and he's got a great arm. Dude, dude can sling it. He's, he's got a great elite arm. But you watch, there's been a lot of misses. His wide receivers aren't getting open every single play by any stretch. But I think what you learn from the Utah game moving forward is defenses have learned now, take away the boot action, take away his running, make him be a good passer, a good timing passer. And as you can see, he struggled to put completions together. And like Des said, he still hasn't thrown a touchdown on the season for a guy that is exciting and has so much talent. Well, what makes this matchup even more interesting is it's an entirely different situation for the Tennessee offense. Take a look at these numbers. The offense has been absolutely humming. The Vols rank in the top four among all FBS teams in points per game, yards per attempt, and offensive touchdowns scored. They've also been scorching their opponents in the first half, outscoring them 97-17, to 17, David. And that's certainly... Not a fluke, not when you're talking about a discrepancy like that. How do you slow down this Tennessee offense? Well, it's funny you say slow down, Wendy, because they're the fastest offense in the country, and ain't nobody slowing them down. Josh Heupel ain't. Receivers getting lined up ain't slowing them down. They literally are going to play as fast as humanly possible, and it's one of the hardest things to play to practice against. You can't replicate it. You can't replicate the a tempo. you got to survive the first part of the game. Go back to last year against the Georgia Bulldogs and one of the greatest defenses we've ever seen. They come out the gate super good. So you got to survive that first onslaught. You got to be willing to give up yards and you got to be really good in the red zone. But this is an offense with Hennon Hooker that spreads you out. It uses his feet. It uses the deep ball. Um, and you've seen more, you know, Brew McCoy now stepping in at wide receiver. More weapons continue to develop. This offense is extremely difficult to stop. They come at you from every direction. This offense has scored 156 points through three games. That's the most by any team in the AP poll era. That's a lot. Which is one reason College Game Day will be there. David and Dez will be live from Knoxville back on Rocky Top Saturday starting at 9 a.m. Meanwhile, number five Clemson travels to number 21 Wake Forest this weekend in what has become a true measuring stick for the Demon Deacons. Having just survived an upset scare against Liberty, Wake now faces a Tigers team that failed to win the ACC and make the college playoff last year for the first time since 2014. We're joined now by senior college football writer Pete Thamel, who has been in Wake Forest uh, chatting with the Demon Deacons all week, and I'd be interested, Pete, to hear their take, given what almost happened last weekend with Clemson on deck. Well, Wendy, uh, for, for Wake Forest, they've lost to Clemson the last four games by an average of 38.5 points. They enter this game seven-point underdogs, but it didn't feel that way Saturday night after the Liberty game. It felt like Wake lost that game. And that's a testament to how far they've come under Dave Clawson to where starting 3-0 and can still come with tinges of disappointment. For, for Wake Forest, 
they're going to need to slow down Clemson's pass rush. Liberty's edges and ends essentially negated Wake Forest's slow mesh offense, the unique style they run that's flummoxed many teams this year. But if there's pressure up front on Saturday, Wake showed they could struggle. Well, Pete, uh, first of all, very good use of the word flummoxed. One of my favorite. We don't say it enough. Uh, and it's worth noting, you <laughs> talked about the points and the spread. Uh, but take a look, because I think it's worth repeating. Over the last four meetings, Clemson has won by 21, 24, 49, and 60 points. That's a combined margin of victory of almost 39, 38 and a half points per game. This time, though, Clemson just a seven-point favorite, according to Caesar Sportsbook. And, David, I often say this. It's almost like they know something we don't. Uh, but having said that, is this a bigger game for Clemson or for Wake Forest? It's a bigger game for Clemson. Um, I, I think we, we expect Wake Forest to lose. I mean, I think everybody in the country usually expects that. I think Wake Forest has got a great offense. I think they got Sam Hartman changes the game with what he can do offensively. But Clemson's a national championship team every year. We talk about them being in the playoffs, and they've been – every year but one except last year so many years in a row so I think Clemson the pressure on the offense DJ Uyunglele is he going to continue to score points can they run the football can they have balance throwing the football so I think I expect Clemson's defense to play well like they always do but that pressure is going to go to that Clemson offense and can they carry the load yeah I agree with David I think that the pressure is on Clemson and to be honest with you everyone I talked to when I mentioned the ACC I think it's wide open. I don't think that the ACC uh, necessarily goes through Clemson. I believe that it's just wide open. I'm really kind of impressed with what I see out of um, Florida State this year. I think that DJ, uh, what do you call QB DJ, um, he's just not playing to the level that we anticipated. He didn't make the jump from year one as a starter to year two. I mean, even watching him in the Georgia Tech game, the first game, he just seemed like he made everything harder. So I think that the ACC is wide open. Uh, Clemson's probably uh, picked to win this game. They probably should win this game. But don't count out Sam Hartman. So I think Wake Forest is going to play them closer than, uh, well, those, those previous victories that Clemson had over Wake Forest. And that's why it's only a seven-point spread this time. Somebody knows something, David. <laughs> Isn't that always the case? Somebody knows something. And, Des, you said it. The ACC is wide open. They have three 3-0 three schools, and that's the most in a season in the conference's history. So I'm not sure it's Clemson's to, you, to lose the way it was for so long. Still to come on College Football Live, we got plenty of ground to cover. And Jackson State quarterback Shadur Sanders joins us. He'll talk about his season and, of course, what it's like to play for his dad. College Football Live is presented by Zillow. There's no place like Zillow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to College Football Live. Tiffany Green along with Jay Walker bringing you the hotness from the HBCU space. How about the number one team in the country, the Jackson State Tigers? They had a commanding win over Grambling State 66-24. to How about the sophomore sensation, Shador Sanders? 21 of 31, 357 yards. More importantly, accounted for six touchdowns, a career high, Jay. When you talk about a dominating performance, we're seeing Shadur Sanders get better and better on a weekly basis. Almost a thousand yards passing on the year, 10 touchdowns, and more important, zero, I repeat, zero interceptions. Clearly a candidate for National Player of the Year to go along with his award from being last year's FCS Freshman of the Year with the Jerry Rice Award. When you talk about Shadur Sanders, what I'm starting to like more and more, he's starting to show you that he's the best football field, best football player on the field on a weekly basis, Tiff. Never lost to a SWAC opponent since he's been at Jackson State, and he's kind enough to join us now. And, look, everybody is talking about, too, Shadur Sanders from Jackson State. Yeah. Just in terms of the way that you all have played, Shadur, like just how dangerous and what makes this offense so dangerous? I would just say we just got the weapons. We can run the ball. We can throw the ball. Uh, it's just hard to stop us when you can do both. One of the things that America really wants to know is, what's it like playing for Coach Prime? We know the headlines that your father got when he took the job, but for yeah. those people on the outside looking in, what's the benefit of you playing for Coach Prime? Uh, it's real fun playing for Coach Prime. He's been my coach my whole life, so it's, it's pretty normal to me. But just from other teammates, just he's just he's just a real realistic guy. He He knows how his players feel, and he's just a good person to play for. Well, it was Jackson State who took care of business, the defending SWAC champions. They're looking to perhaps go undefeated in the conference once more as they eye that cricket celebration bowl. Shador Sanders, thanks so much for joining us. Well, from a to former top recruit to next year's top classes, according to our class rankings for 2023, Alabama currently owns the top class, followed by Notre Dame and Texas, Ohio State and Oklahoma round out the top five for now, but new rankings will be released next week. ESPN national reporting, uh, national recruiting reporter Tom Van Haren joins us now. And Tom, look, uh, about three months away from early signing day, December 21st, and Texas A&M we talked so much about last year as the top recruiting class. We now see, as I just showed, they're not in the top ten, at least not right now. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant for a few reasons. If you go back to 2016, Wendy, all but one team that finished with the number one ranked class followed that up with a top five class. The only time it didn't happen was 2017 when Alabama finished number six. So you can maybe even squeeze them in and say it's happened every single time. And Jimbo Fisher was in that group. He finished with the number one ranked class at Florida State in 2016. He followed that class up with the number four ranked class. And right now, you said they're not in the top 10. They're not in the top 25. They're ranked number 32 overall. That's significant for a lot of reasons. Now, I know this is going to be a smaller class. They filled up the class in, in 2022, so they're going to take less recruits. That factors in. But if you look at what they had last year compared to this year, you, you mentioned it. Alabama is the number one ranked class. They've got 16 ESPN 300 commitments in the class. Texas A&M only has six right now. They had five five stars committed last year so it's a departure from the norm it's a departure from what we're seeing nationally 
And, and really with Texas A&M as well, we haven't really seen this bounce back this far uh, from a class that finished number one overall. Yeah, I would say that's a notable discrepancy for sure. There are 13 five-star recruits in this 2023 class, headlined, of course, by Archie Manning, but he is verbally committed to Texas. Who else is still on the board? Well, that, that kind of factors into Texas A&M. There's only four four-stars left. There aren't many prospects left. There's only 46 ESPN 300 recruits that are uncommitted. So you, you look at the five-stars, though. Number four-ranked Cormani McLean. He's the top corner, a six-foot-two, 165-pound prospect. He's considering Florida, Alabama, Miami. He went out to Florida. He's going to visit Alabama again. I think Florida probably has a good shot. And if Billy Napier can land him, he's already got a top 10 class in his first full year. That could be a really good class for them. And then you look at a couple teammates, Jaquavius Rousseau and James Smith, both along the defensive line. They've got the same top six, Alabama, Alabama State, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, and Ohio State. A good chance that they play together. And then Wendy, maybe one of my favorite recruits, Samson Okunlola, an offensive lineman. He's considering Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Miami, Michigan State, among others. But the reason I like him so much, he's an offensive lineman. His nickname is Pancake Honcho. Every visit that he's gone on, he's either gotten <laughs> actual pancakes or pictures of pancakes, and he's gotten edits of pancakes all over his Twitter feed. So one of my favorite recruits still on the board, Pancake Honcho, going to make a lot of fans proud when he commits to their school. I can't think of a better reason to have him being your favorite. You should follow him. You should just get on that train right now, Tom, and wait and see what <laughs> happens. Again, uh, thank you. You can see Tom's uh, storylines for National Recruiting Day on ESPN Plus and early signing day again December 21st. More ground to cover here on College Football Live coming up at Strength v. Strength as Wisconsin heads to the shoe to face the Buckeyes. We'll tell you why their defense might be taking a page from Notre Dame's playbook. You're watching College Football Live, presented by Zillow. College Football Live is presented by Zillow. There's no place like Zillow. Saturday night on ABC, Ohio State welcomes Wisconsin to town. The Badgers defense and the Buckeyes offense have been two of the best units in the sport since the start of not this season, but last season. So it is strength versus strength, and you could argue something will have to give this weekend. David, listen, I'm not asking if this Buckeyes offense is good. I mean, that's clearly a no-brainer. But have they been as good as you thought? I mean, in other words, when they face their tougher competition, is there any reason at all to be concerned? Well, we've only seen one of those games, you know, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, I think, and like T Tulsa or Toledo, Toledo, I think, something like that the last couple of weeks. So we haven't learned anything. Notre Dame week one, you know, they only scored 21 points. So I'm very interested to see Jim Leonard, who's a great defensive mind. I mean, elite defensive mind. Al Golden week one, I thought fooled Ryan Day, fooled Ohio State and company several times. Can they do the same thing? Can they slow them down or is this offense – you know, because listen, coming into the season, I, I thought this offense was going to be a 50-point type of game offense. And, you know, they looked very human against Notre Dame. Notre Dame made them run the football. Can Wisconsin do that? Now, listen, Wisconsin has to play offense, Wendy, and that's a problem because they haven't been all, good on offense or diverse on offense in a while. But really interested to watch Jim Leonard versus that Ohio State offense. 
Yeah, it is an interesting matchup, and it is our Saturday night game. You can see this game uh, on ABC and the ESPN app. Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit will have the call at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. Michigan State looks to bounce back this week after looking a little lost against Washington. Sparty's D was overmatched from the start and had few answers for Michael Penix Jr. as Washington rolled to the 39-28 win. Mel Tucker with some choice words on his coaching performance. The resume is on the tape, you know. So, like right now, I'm a horse football coach right now. That's, that's honestly, it's how I think about it. So we got to get better. And I uh, apologize to my mom in advance. <laughs> All right, Des. Uh, listen, nothing <laughs> oh, like man. a candid yeah, assessment. Good he to be self-aware and then apologize to your mama. Uh, but what he really wants to do is see this defense bounce back. How are they going to do that uh, against a team who can run the ball, Des? I tell you what, it's going to be a tall task because I thought going to that game that Michigan State was going to travel to Seattle and, and beat Washington, but their defense really let them down. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. had a marvelous game. I never saw that coming. I mean, he, he had receivers running all over the field wide open. Now you're going to go up against a Minnesota offense that loves to run the ball. I mean, this group is number two in the nation in rushing yards per game. And, Mohamed Ibrahim, I mean, came back from his Achilles injury, and he's one of the top rushers in the nation. They're like people movers up front. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable the way that P.J. Fleck and Kirk Shiraka has this offense humming. The running game is so strong. It's going to be a battle in the trenches. Now, because Sparty was embarrassed a week ago down in Seattle, I'm curious to see how they come out at home in East Lansing against an offensive line that loves to push people around. This may be one of the best games of Saturday. I can't wait to see Minnesota take, take on Michigan State. Listen, it is uh, a big weekend for the Big Ten West. Pollock, who wins the Big Ten West? I think Dez's Minnesota Golden Gophers, he was just bragging about. Tanner Morgan, <laughs> to me, is the difference. Like, listen, <laughs> they always run the football. They're always physical. Like, but the, the – Several years ago when they were dynamic and we knew they were really good is because they were throwing the ball all over the yard. Kirk Soraka came back as OC. Tanner Morgan in his 27th year in the system, he really looks like he's got a good grasp of the <laughs> offense and more importantly, just taking the ball down the field and making plays. Ibrahim, which Des mentioned, has seven rushing touchdowns this season tied for the most in the FBS. It's a big weekend all around, not just the Big Ten. We'll be back to talk more football tomorrow. <laughs>